Hello, my name is Christina, and here's what's coming up at the church. We're looking forward to seeing you every Wednesday for our Exploring God series. Come learn more about God as we talk about the question, Is Christianity Too Narrow for Our Culture? Youth ministry, kids clubs, and child care will be happening simultaneously. So come for yourself and be equipped for helping others to discover God and explore Him. Don't forget that you can come early for refreshments at 6.30. And that's what's happening at Generation. To get more information about everything going on, check out our weekly Lord's Day Bulletin. And to stay connected 24 hours a day, visit our website at generationspeople.org and .mobi. Download our app on your smartphone and like our Facebook page for the latest happenings. We'll see you next time. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18, Paul, the writer of Romans, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Can we say not worthy? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Can we say the revealing? For the creation was subjected to futility or vanity or depravity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Can we say glorious future? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Can we say up until now? Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Can we say, come on resurrection? In conclusion, verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Here it is in a nutshell. All of creation, from the fall of man to the planet and everything living on it, has been subjected to this futility by the fall of man. Man was given dominion over the earth, and man surrendered that dominion to the powers of evil. And we've experienced calamities and disasters ever since. But through Christ we have the promise of redemption when all things will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll have new bodies, and all the old folks said, Glory! Up until then, we're groaning. The older you get, the more you will groan. Up until then, we're experiencing difficulties. Today, we're going to discuss the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Can we say that? Pain, pain's a part of life. I think some people believe it's a test of your faith, but if you don't have a faith to believe in, it kind of makes you wonder why, why is there suffering in this world? It was a reason why he took them. Uh, maybe he needed some angels up there to protect 
protect, to help him in the fight against the devil. A baby is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Why doesn't he want me to have this? Bad things are just the way that you see them. I think God's in everything we do. Why would anybody want to create people who do horrible things to each other? It doesn't make any sense. I don't think God's sitting there and saying these people are hurting and maybe I should help them. I suppose the answers will come. It's just I'm going through a journey right now that's painful. Welcome to ExploreGod.com, a sermon series that is being participated in by 406 other churches three of whom are in the Granbury area. Lakeside Baptist and Bear Creek Community Church are participating in this. It includes midweek discussion groups where we wrestle with questions, followed by a sermon addressing those questions, not that we're going to answer them all, but attempting on my part to answer those questions, the Lord willing. And so today is a question we wrestled with last Wednesday evening. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow pain and suffering? This is one of the biggest reasons atheists say they don't believe in God. If there's a God, why is there pain and suffering? According to Barna Research, this question is one of the most asked questions in our culture. Asked not only by atheists, but by people who are experiencing pain and suffering. As a pastor, I cannot pretend to know all the answers to this sincere and valid inquiry. However, today we want to look at some of what the New Testament has to say about it, pain and suffering, namely what pain and suffering is and can do and cannot do, alternating between what pain and suffering is and what pain and suffering can. So our first statement today is pain and suffering is very real. Can we say, duh, did you know that Buddhist, Buddhism teaches that pain and suffering is just an illusion? It's mind over matter. We're not really experiencing pain and suffering. It's just a figment of your imagination. You need to attain a higher consciousness. That's kind of a way to cope with what is going on around us but it really doesn't engage us in being part of the solution in the world. Hinduism teaches that pain and suffering is very real, yes, but it's because of karma. You have done something bad in an earlier life. You're experiencing what you deserve, so therefore we're not going to lift a hand to help you. So their culture is not motivated, where the cultures are dominated by Hinduism. The people are not motivated to help those who are hurting because in some way they deserve it. In Christianity, there's the legalists, the ones always looking where to pin the blame, where it's our fault or your fault or somebody's fault or somebody's lack of faith or somebody's bad confession or somebody's slip-up, somebody's mistake. It's their fault. Joe's troubles were his fault. Muslims. Recognize that pain and suffering is very real, but they say it's all God's will. Everything bad that happens is God's will. Before we get into the Christian worldview of pain and suffering, I just want to share something Jesus said. 
that lines up with this statement, pain and suffering is very real. He said in John 16, these things I speak to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Put that in the promise box on your breakfast table. Put that in your Christian fortune cookie and see how many you sell. It's true, though. Let's recognize reality. There's troubles in the world. But Jesus completes a statement. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that last song we sang. It's a song that lines up with the real world in which we live. But it holds on to faith that we have a God in spite of all these troubles that won't let go of us. And until the day of redemption comes, we're still going to praise him. Amen. Number two, pain and suffering can produce growth. It can. I'm not saying God causes pain and suffering so you can grow, but I'm telling you, the other side of the coin for hard times is it can create progress in our lives. Why is it the most productive nations in the world are those where it gets freezing cold. Because winter's coming and we got to get, get with a program. Tom Stammen, a regular speaker we have, says Minnesota has two seasons, winter and winter's coming. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of invention. The Mayo Clinic, who's heard of the Mayo Clinic? A group of tornadoes tore up the region around Rochester, Minnesota, and an English doctor, Mayo, with his sons, went there to help the wounded and found some backers that enabled them to open a clinic, and the rest is history. Now they've got extensions in places beyond Minnesota. An amazing place would not have happened had it not been for somebody trying to help with suffering, and he wouldn't have gone there had there not been some suffering. Chapter 5 of Romans, Paul writes, We also glory, he's glorying in our salvation, but we also glory in tribulations. Can we say troubles? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Why do you need hope if you have everything you ever hoped for? Hope is a reality in the hearts of those that don't have what they're hoping for, but they're hoping for it. Jesus said it like this, the well don't need a physician, the sick need a physician. The people that are suffering, the people that are hurting know they need some help, know they need a savior. And the vast majority of people that became believers didn't become believers because God had so incredibly blessed them and they woke up one day and said, oh my goodness, I'm a multi, multi-millionaire, I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus. No, <laughs> we were in the pits, most of us, if we were adults when we became believers or we returned to the Lord, facing ruin, knowing we needed help, and we cry out to God. Paul had it going on, killing Christians and gaining political power. So what did God do? He took the rug out from under him and took his eyesight away from him. Threw him instantly into the pits. Humbled him. He cried out to God and became a great speaker. And so he glories in his tribulations. 
Pain and suffering is temporary. If not in this lifetime, in the next, your troubles will die one day, but you will not. If you're a believer and you have the assurance of eternal life, you'll outlive your body for eternity. Look at what we read earlier. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The Christian worldview is one that holds to a bright future in spite of present-day gloom. But in the midst of the time, we will still praise him till that day comes and do what we can to help with solutions to help hurting people find Jesus. Number four, pain and suffering can be consequential. Sometimes you did something wrong in this life and brought in all kinds of suffering into your life. It can be. This fact isn't to heap guilt on you. Well, I just have to live in pain and suffering the rest of my life. No, the Lord's the one who redeems us, not just from the consequences of Adam's sin, but from the consequences of our own. He's a merciful God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The whole world fell into depravity when Adam sinned. The planet, the animals, the plants, if they have wills, certainly didn't want depravity to take over. The weather systems didn't want chaos to ever be a part of their system. But man who was given dominion by God turned it over to Satan, the powers of evils. And we have chaos in the world. This is the Christian worldview. So pain and suffering is consequential in the long run because of sin. Number five, pain and suffering is universal. You are not the only one going through hard times. There are others suffering, some maybe even more than you, not to belittle your pain, empathize with you, but know that it is around the universe, chaos. Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation groans. You don't groan unless there's some pain. When a mama's given birth and she makes some noises, it's not just because she's bored. When an old man gets out of the bed, he's not just doing it just to be cute. He's expressing the pain that he's going through. The whole universe is like that, groaning, waiting in hope for that day of redemption. The story of the fall and all of this is global. It affects all of us. It's not just a Christian thing. So here is the Christian worldview's foundation in a nutshell. You hear these statements a lot. Every day something tragic happens. A child dies. Cancer takes another life. An earthquake kills thousands. It forces people to ask the question, if God is loving and merciful, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Well, that's a good question. And thankfully, the Bible sheds a lot of light on this subject. Check this out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the declaration of the very first verse in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. The next couple of chapters explain in broad terms what God made over the course of the six literal days he used to complete his creation. Light, the sky, 
plants, animals, and humans. That's right. God created everything, and according to Genesis 131, he saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. That is, it was complete and perfect. There was no death and no suffering. There was no survival of the fittest. Animals didn't attack and eat each other. Adam and Eve, the first two humans, did not kill animals for food. Genesis 129-30 makes it clear that man and animals ate only fruits and vegetables. So the original creation was wonderful, peaceful, without death, full of life and joy, and all enjoying the presence of God, the Creator. So, what in the world happened? How do we get from there to here? Well, something drastic must have happened that altered the original creation, and that something was sin. Remember, God created a perfect world and placed Adam and Eve in paradise. As their creator, he had authority over them, and in his authority, God gave them a rule. In Genesis 2.17, God said, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam and Eve heard the rule loud and clear, but they willfully disobeyed it. They ate from the tree God told them not to. They chose to live by their rules and separate themselves from God. So the Creator kept His promise that punishment would follow their disobedience. With the rebellious act of one man, sin entered God's creation and death along with it. But the effects of sin didn't stop there. Because God had given dominion over all of creation to man, in a very real sense, the sin of man affected all of creation. In Genesis 3, we see the beginning of a cursed creation. Thorns and thistles were now part of the world, as well as pain and suffering and death. The world was no longer perfect. It was sin-cursed. And that's why tragic things still happen today. And before we give Adam and Eve the full rap, we have to realize that all of us still willfully sin against God. That should make us really pause and think. But for now, at least on this topic, enough said. A few years ago, CNN published an article by Deborah Mitchell. Instantly, it went viral. In her book, Finding Truth, Nancy Piercy mentions this article written by Deborah Mitchell, the young mother, and shared this. She said that she shielded her children from learning about God for various reasons dealing with the problem of evil. Mitchell argues that a loving God would not allow, quote, murders, child abuse, wars, brutal beatings, torture, and millions of hyenas acts to be committed throughout the history of mankind, unquote. The classic Christian answer to the problem of evil is that God created humans with free will and they have made a mess of things. This Christian defense acknowledges the tragic reality of sin and suffering while at the same time affirming human dignity. We were created in the image of God, but we fell. It portrays humans as genuine moral agents whose choices are so significant that they alter the direction of history. Having rejected the Christian answer, what did this young mother offer as an alternative? Ms. Mitchell proposed a materialistic worldview in which humans are completely determined without free will. Just came about by chance. She wrote, quote, because we are a very, very small part of a big, big machine and the influence we have is minuscule, The realization is we are insignificant, unquote. Is that meant to be an appealing alternative to Christianity, that humans are little machines trapped in a big machine? Ms. Mitchell claims that her materialistic view leads to humbleness. Nancy Piercy concludes, this is not humbling, it's dehumanizing. More importantly, it is not true. 
the testimony of universal human experience is that humans are not merely robots, that they are significant. And the testimony of the scriptures, we were created in the image of God, but we chose to not reflect that image by going our own way and facing the consequences, even though God shared what they were. So with that being said, we've sinned, we've been separated from God, and through Christ we've been reunited with God. What impact can this this suffering in the world have upon us? Number six, pain and suffering cannot separate us from God. Romans 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists various kinds of pain and suffering. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The implied answer is no. Verse 37, he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Can we say more? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Pain and suffering cannot, even though it can cause us pain and suffering, it cannot separate us from God and his love. He'll never let go of us. Number seven, pain and suffering is weaker than the comfort God gives. It's weaker than his comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's his name. He's the God of all comfort. Can we say all comfort? Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Can we say all tribulation? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So in our pain and suffering, we are promised that God draws near to the brokenhearted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He is near to those who are down. Why? Because when we're down, we're open to him. And he's there. Like water coming in a leak, he is waiting on someone to cry out to him from a point of need and desire. And we are promised in the Old Testament even that if we seek him with our whole heart, he will be found by us. So he comes to us. What does he do? He comforts us. Just for us to be comforted? No, so that we can comfort others. to Pass the gift onward to others. Number eight, pain and suffering cannot outweigh our future. No matter how bad it is, you have a future that's this much more glorious. We read that. It's not worthy to be compared to the future glory. And here in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul also writes, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The pain you're in is going to cause you to rejoice that much more when redemption comes. It's nothing like hunger to make you appreciate food. You ever gone on an extended fast? Oh, my goodness. I don't look like it today, but I have. I remember I was with a group of ministers. We were going on a 21-day fast, going to end with a three-day retreat. I showed up at that retreat on day 17, and there were potato chips popping open and Cokes popping and 
like, I thought we were fasting, but it was called a 21-day fast. It really wasn't. So after about 24 hours being in that, I just couldn't take it. And so when they were going to a restaurant, I found a potato and scrubbed that thing down, wrapped it in foil, this is in Sweetwater, Texas, and put it in some hot coals of a fire. And 30 minutes or so later, I pulled that thing out and ate it just like it was right out of the foil. It was so delicious. No salt, no pepper, no butter, no chives, no sour cream. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So those of you that are hurting the most are going to enjoy heaven the most. Number nine, pain and suffering is testing us. You can say, duh, again. It shows us who we really are. It shows us things about ourselves we wouldn't believe if our best friend told us. What? That came out of my mouth? Where did that come from? Brethren, count it all joy. James 1, verse 2. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There's no pain, no gain. That's an expression of the bodybuilding world. Harder you work, the more progress you make. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Reminds me of what we read earlier. We glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. So we are being matured in the process. Not that God is responsible for any of the pain and suffering in our life, And who is responsible isn't always the issue. Pinning the blame on someone doesn't help. Punishing other people for your pain doesn't help. But leaning on Him helps. Being comforted by Him helps. Persevering. Still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. Become stronger. And finally, my closing point of the ten is pain and suffering can expose the demonic. Demons aren't having babies. They're not multiplying in the earth. But humans are, right? So in the attack of the demonic realm against humans, they have to attack those who are most vulnerable. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So you're not the only one that's ever been attacked by the enemy. Now, the devil is not omnipresent, but... He's got territory covered by principalities or by little minions that serve him. Fallen angels, I believe is what they are. I could be wrong. But the presence of evil is present. So I don't know that you may ever deal with a devil himself, but someone representing him, some evil creature representing him, his deputies doing his work. They're looking for those whom they may devour like a lion does. When lions hunt, they're not the bravest things. They don't dive into the middle of a herd and take out the big guy. 
No, they look for the old guy or the little guy that's not with the herd, that's by themselves, and seek to separate them from the herd to get them by themselves. And then they come with their friends and gang up on him and bring him down. So much for being the king of the jungle. That's the way the enemy operates, to get us by ourselves. The me and Jesus got my own thing going. We don't sing that around here because that's bad theology. Us and Jesus have the God thing going. We have a vertical relationship with the Lord. Yes, don't want to ever take away your individual relationship with the Lord. But we also have a corporate relationship with the Lord. We have brothers and sisters that he gave to us. And according to what John, the apostle that was closest to him, wrote, if we don't love our brothers and sisters, we really don't love Jesus. Because they're creating his image And he loves them just as much as he loves us. So the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to one another. So if you and Jesus got your own thing going and you never relate to his people, you don't have relationships with other believers, I question whether or not you really have a thing going with the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus relates to us vertically and horizontally, personally and corporately. And this keeps us from being prey to the devil. How do we resist the devil? Earlier in that chapter, he said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first step of resisting the enemy is submission to God. So we're experiencing pain and suffering. Evil thoughts come into our mind about who caused this or about, you know, you're you're worthless or about you should end your life. Anytime there's a suicide, I'm positive there's demonic Uh, presence at work because it's abnormal for us to not want to live anytime stuff like that is going on you got to resist it but you don't resist in your own power you resist in his power that's why we submit to god first lord i'm hurting lord i'm suffering i repent of my sins make me right with you lord what do you want me to do with my life in the name of jesus demons leave me alone these thoughts are not from god and they're not from me you got to go They like to work in secret. They don't like to be revealed. But pain and suffering brings them out in the open because they attack those that hurt. So the question, have I answered it? No, but I'd like to try. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Here's my attempt. This is not heaven where his will is supreme. I know he's sovereign. I know his will is ultimately done. But in the temporal realm, this is what we get when man's will reigns. God in his sovereignty steps back and lets us go. Like a loving parent that doesn't want to control their kids, eventually allows their kids to go their own way. There's hope involved in this. Hope that we turn to him for salvation. Romans 1 says that he's given humanity a reprobate mind, given us over to depravity, to let us do all kinds of sin. It gets into detail with some of the sins, but it lists, pretty much lists them all there at the end of Romans 1. And then Romans 2 says, and don't be judging folks that are caught up in sin, especially if you've got that stuff going on in your life. This is not heaven. That's why there's pain and suffering in the world. 
There is a God. There is a world where his rule reigns. But in this world, our rule reigns. Our will reigns. So with that being said, other people often say, if God is a God of love, then why isn't everybody going to heaven? Well, I'll tell you why everybody's not going. Heaven would become earth too. We're not robots here, and we're not going to be robots there. So thank God he's keeping some folks out. And thank God we're not the ones making the determination. If we were, we'd be ruling ourselves out. We all need his grace and mercy. So the big question today is, are you sure you are going to heaven? Are you just experiencing this pain and suffering for nothing? Do you know that you know that you know you're going to heaven? Let me share the gospel with you in just a few words. Jesus said it best. John recorded it in his gospel, chapter 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. So if the world needs to be saved, then that means the world is already condemned. So Jesus came to make a way of escape. It's like the world is drowning and God threw out the life preserver in his son. And his son gave his life for us and told us to tell the entire world about it. And he's not coming back till everybody's heard. And so... He gave his life on a cross. He died an unjust death. He didn't deserve it. God allowed it to happen so that if we would ask him for the forgiveness of our sins, his death would become our death. His payment would become our payment. He's our substitute. He came down so we could go up. He became us so we could become one with him. He became sin so that we might be made righteous. This is the gospel so that you and I could have the assurance of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, for those that aren't sure whether or not they have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that they would hold on to the promise, submitting to you, resisting the devil, he'll flee from them, and their doubts will have to go. But, Lord, I pray for those that know they're not going to heaven, that, Lord, they would cry out to you and say, Lord, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins and I call on your name to save me. Make me yours. Amen. As Pastor Shake leads us in a song, I'm going to, in a minute, call the ministry team forward to line up across the front here. And anyone needing prayer, maybe you're experiencing pain and suffering or maybe you just need some wisdom for a decision or maybe you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you need some healing, we'll be up here to pray with you. We know you're already praying. If not, you need to be praying about things in your life. But there's something that God likes about humans praying together. So we want to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is always done there. It's not always done here. So prayer is a way of bringing his will to earth. And God intervenes through the avenue of prayer. And so we want to ask the Lord with you for God's will in your life concerning anything. So let's stand at, the, at this time as we sing.